electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is a crypto crash. Well, kind of. Bitcoin sinking nearly 10% today, tripping the breakers on the futures, and now trying to come back from those lows. And there it is. If you're worried about your crypto investment, we'll be tracking the price of Bitcoin via Coinbase throughout the hour. And as our Bitcoin week rages on, Terry Duffy, the chairman and CEO of the CME, will join us as his exchange gets ready to launch Bitcoin futures trading this weekend. He'll tell us just how big this business could be. But first, we start off with the Fed. Janet Yellen making her last stand, raising rates for the third time this year and the fifth time since the financial crisis. Let's get straight to Steve Leisman in D.C., who was at the uh, press conference for all the details. Hi, Steve. Hey, Melissa, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates by a quarter point. That brings the new range to one and a quarter to one and a half percent. That is the highest since 2004. The Fed forecasting three more rate hikes next year, boosting its growth forecast, by the way, next year to two and a half percent, in part because of coming tax cuts. It also lowered its outlook for unemployment to 3.9 percent and continued to believe that inflation would eventually move up to its two percent target. And I asked Fed Chair Janet Yellen, in her news conference about current market valuations and whether they're concerned about it and need to raise rates to cool off the market. There's nothing flashing red there or possibly even orange. We have a much more resilient, uh, stronger banking system, and we're not seeing um, wor some worrisome buildup in leverage or credit growth at excessive levels. So, um, uh, you know, this is something that the FOMC pays attention to. But if you ask me, is this a significant factor shaping monetary policy now? Well, it's a, on the list of risks. It's not a major, it's not a major factor. Yellen said the Fed could provide, the, the tax cuts could provide some boost to growth and productivity, but stopped well short of endorsing some of the grander growth claims from President Trump. At the same time, Yellen expressed concern about the rising deficit, which she worried could increase to unsustainable levels. It was likely, folks, her last press conference as Fed chair, and she went on a generally optimistic note on the economy and continued to endorse gradual tightening in monetary policy. Melissa, if it's not red and possibly not even orange, it must be green. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only color left on that rainbow, Steve, in terms of the stoplights. Um, when she and the Fed acknowledge that tax policy could provide some boost to growth, do you think that that was an acknowledgement that there could be upward risk to rates next year? I think that's right. I think uh, now now this gets into a, a, the, the question as to what the tax cuts do. If the tax cuts end up increasing the supply in the economy, the machines out there, the factories, uh, the, the, the total square footage of real estate space. If they end up increasing the total resources in the economy to produce stuff, it would not be inflationary and the Fed wouldn't view it as such. If it ends up increasing demand, then the Fed might ultimately turn around and, and raise rates faster because of it. 
Um, I did notice there was no increase in the number of Fed officials forecasting four rate hikes next year. That may change, but right now the consensus is at three. There's a few guys above three and a few folks below three, but right now there's been no movement towards sort of hinting towards a faster rate move next year. Steve, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. How do you reconcile all of the sort of bullish things with this inflation number when there's a lot of pressures that you labor price? I know there's some dispute about it, but I think California, you see a lot of places where you've got labor pressure, pressure up. How is it that inflation continues to stay here? Um, you know, how much time do you have, Karen? It's, it's really a, a fascinating question. I think it has to do with the global supply chain. I think it has to do with technology. I think it has to do with Amazon and cell phones. I think it has to do with a lot of things that are out there. At the same time, you know, we're, we're not recreating people, at least not very fast anyway. And, and so there can be uh, a taxing of the labor pool out there uh, at the same time that prices are not going up. I mean, Karen, think about it. We have never been in this modern era of globalization and of technology and had high inflation. We've never taxed the global resources that exist. I think the well could be a lot deeper than we think, which means we could grow faster, bring unemployment rate, bring unemployment down, and still do all of that with a relatively low inflation rate. Which means rates could remain extremely low for a very, very long time. You Steve. sound like a central banker, Melissa. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Steve Leesman. Big movers off the announcement was uh, in the bond and currency markets, bond surge plates rates plummeted in the dollar tanked on what many investors interpreted as a dovish Fed. So let's just recap here. You've got a tax bill that is moving much faster than many had thought. You've got a dovish Fed. You know what that all means? Stock paradise, man. The place where money grows on trees. Do you hop on board and just keep buying? Guy Dami. Well, I'm a huge Eddie Money fan. I know Tim Seymour is an Eddie Money. <laughs> you can't, can't get yeah. enough Eddie Money, yeah. mm. number one. Number two, do you just keep buying? I think we've been saying that for a while. Not because I'm not blind to some of the things that I see out there. Tony Dwyer is going to be on two tens now in terms of the yield curve, 57 basis points. To me, it's moving much too fast in the wrong direction. Market doesn't seem to care. But to answer your question, you stay with the course. Seasonality is playing a huge role in this on top of everything you just mentioned. What continues to work? Well, these deep industrial names that we have talked about seemingly now for the last couple of years. Boeing, for example. Look at that stock. Look at their free cash flow. Look at what they're doing with their dividend. Look at what they're doing with their stock repurchase plan. Honeywell continues to work. And I got to tell you, I've been wrong about this one for a while. But Caterpillar is telling you that the entire world is growing at a pace we haven't seen in 100 years. Well, John and Yellen, to your point, said that nothing's flashing yellow, nothing's flashing red. If you look at what worked work well today, it was the staples. People are searching out for yield. People sold, investors sold utilities ahead of this meeting. Overdone. It's down 50 bips for half a percentage point for the month. I think you could buy utilities off this because it's a sell-the-news type event. I think you could buy retail, XRT, off the tax plan. Now that's the next speed bump on the road uh, going into year-end. Is it a speed bump? We're so close now, right, with the conference having agreed on some sort of plan that we don't yet know the details about. It looks right. like we've got infrastructure and the offing. I mean, as long as inflation, it sounds like as long as inflation remains low, we are, we are set. I mean, We're it on does a glide seem path. very, very Goldilocks, and I've been very skeptical of the bond market, you know, TBT, which day like today definitely doesn't work. Um, you know, for equities, it does set up really well. I mean, the tax deal, obviously, would be great. The repatriation also, particularly for the fangs, I mean, these are cash hoards like we've never seen. 
that really don't get adequately reflected, in my opinion, for a Google. And I mean, so many of them. So th those are good things as well. I'm a little less optimistic on the infrastructure. But a lot of the other things that are happening that are good also apply to the infrastructure names as well. Plus, there's this tax. I'm not sure where they ultimately came out about deductibility of new equipment. Right. right. I, is that still did that survive? I, I don't I don't know that. I, 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 think, that's it, I think it did. And, and it, to extend kind of if I wanted to hear some more Eddie money right now, yeah. I, I would actually say that the Fed has upgraded their GDP forecast four tenths of a percent. They've downgraded their their, you know, their unemployment down to a three handle. So they, they've pushed it even further. They say we're actually going to grow and that the labor market's going to continue to get stronger. Freeport Mac uh, broke through six month range. There's a lot of stocks that have been running up against six month resistance. Look at what copper's done. But again, if you get deductibility of some of this equipment, you get into the mining space, you get into a lot more projects and obviously infrastructure. So I think those are the trades that have been working for a long time. A couple houses out there also upgraded commodities today. Pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have been underweight this part of the, uh, the asset class. And meanwhile, oil continues to, to chug along. You know what? I've been, I was just thinking when I said stock paradise that we've actually been saying stock paradise, stock heaven for a very long time. And, and so far, knock on wood, it has been the right call to be long this market. But what keeps you up at night? Every, everything that everything, the speed in which the market continues to go higher concerns me a great deal. The complacency that's that's measured in the volatility index concerns me. This yield curve that again Tony Dwyer is going to speak about concerns me. The fact that China seems to be slowing down and the HSI has rolled over, bounced recently concerns me. I mean, there are a number of things that are but so the, you the see Fed, a yellow light flash, you see or orange, whatever all, color the, you the, want. The, the Fed is not light. a great. They're not a great judge of red, yellow, orange, Granted, green yes. lights. I mean, historically they've been miserable at it. So when she says that, I sort of dismiss the it things, completely out of hand. The, the things that you should be worried about is that confidence is at ridiculously high levels. So there's nobody that's concerned out there, which is what guys alluding to with the VIX. But we saw this in small business confidence yesterday. We've seen it in a lot of the other consumer confidence readings. We see it in the market. We see it in cash levels in the market. And depending on who you want to ask, we have retail guys that work for long-only firms that come on here and say the retail guy's not in the market yet. But if you listen to the institutional guys, they say cash levels uh, are down for institutions down though. about 300 basis points. I don't know if that's negative. Them. No, but I don't know if that, that's a negative. I, I see that as a positive. I, for me, the negative is I think when uh, Chair Yellen starts talking about the yield curve and the business cycle aren't related the way they used to be. That makes me nervous. That makes me think she's going to raise quicker. And when you say there's no sign of inflation, yeah. that means that she raises, it's a dynamic effect that she's going to say. All right. Well, leading up to today's rate hike, investors were also keeping their eye on the yield curve, uh, which is the flattest in uh, 10 years or so. Many see this as a sign that a correction is coming. But our next guest will tell us why those fears are overblown. Tony Dwyer is the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. He's going to start today at the plasma to break it down. Hi, Tony. Hey, Mel. Well, our target this year is 2800 on the S&P. We've long said that's too conservative, number one, on tax cuts, but more importantly on the yield curve. The 210 spread is currently at 60 basis points, and historically that is a tremendous buy signal. Credit accelerates when the yield curve begins to flatten to the degree that it's currently at, and we're st it signals that we're still years away from a recession, even if it inverts over the course of 2018. And when you look at this chart, what you do see is every time you see one of these circles, that's the first time in a cycle that you got the yield curve to flatten to 60 basis points. The median gain at those, when you get those circles is 63% over 1,000 trading days. Wow. Well, first of all, that's very nice chart work by Tony. Well, he's, a, he's one of the uh, top three chart yes. people <laughs> at the Parthenon. Uh, I think we invite Tony over. All right. Come all right. on, Tony. Come on over.
<laughs> we have three chart guys. He's the top there three. Is. Up, right? <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. Get in the, the third chair. Nice chart work, but you can't get in the chair. There was one circle that was followed by a pullback. So, so there will be volatility. There it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What, what you see is the most recent that was, one. And that was, it's sort of interesting. When you look at those long-term charts, everything's up in a straight line. You're definitely going to get pullbacks. This was the, if the year closes here, it'll be the least drawdown in any year over the last 90 years at under 3%. The last time it was even close was 1995. 1996 opened up with a 4% decline from the mid-December high, rallied up, and then you started to get into a little bit more trouble with big corrections. So our call is that you're going to have a, a much higher market next year, but also much higher volatility. You can have both of them go up at the same time. But, Tony, when we saw today Chair Yellen speak about the yield curve that you love talking about, and when you said there's no, no fear of it, don't worry about it, and even if we invert, you have time to get ahead of that, and markets can That's go right. up, as your chart says. Did you get a little nervous of how cavalier she was making, making that correlation and causation argument that we hear so many times from the Fed and then hearing about how the business cycle and the yield curve aren't the same relationship as they used to be? I know that every time the yield curve inverts, you go into a recession, except for 1966, and you ended up going there a little bit later. My guess is the Fed probably knows that, too. So why do they ever let the curve invert? Because every time they think that it's different this time. It's yield, it's different this time. It's human nature. Why does credit accelerate when the yield curve flattens? So if I'm selling the cup of water, the bottle of water that Tim's got next to him for a dollar, government comes to me and says I can only sell it for 50 cents, and I can produce as much water as I want, what do you think I'm going to do to the production of water? I'm going to double it. I don't want to make less money. So when the yield curve flattens, what do you think banks do with credit? What do you think investors do to get the same return? They accelerate credit. So once you invert the yield curve, that works on a lag. It kicks into economic activity. Everybody's like, oh, it doesn't work this time. The Fed was right. So and it shuts down credit I, on I, a lag. I, I hear you on that. But if they can accelerate credit, but if there's no demand for that, isn't that, become, isn't that then the argument that when things start to slow down, the sort of the deflationary spiral? I, I've said on this show so many times, because I'm always the big bald bull, right? I've always got the higher target. Well, I've been in it for a long time. I'm definitely you're definitely bald. one side of that statement. Right? Yeah. And, and the bull, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you said it, not me. So, so when you look at this is going to end so badly. You cannot fix credit with exponentially more credit. That line has killed more portfolio managers than it's different this time because it makes you get out way too early. You miss the upside, and then by the time you chase it, you're doing it at the wrong time. So our view isn't that this is Goldilocks for the rest of time. It's just that we're in a situation where we can go an extended period still historically, mm -hmm. have the upside, and then when you start to see stresses in the credit markets, you can see it in the Chicago Fed And that's indices. why it's 2800 by the end of the year. We'll see higher in between and then lower well, by the I'm end. Much, okay, so th yeah. this is important. You should never look at our quick. targets. You should yeah, look at quick. our methodology. The methodology is I'm using 140 in earnings. A 21% tax rate, would that bring that up to about a buck 55? At a 20 multiple, I'm closer to 3100 You can't do that until you know what the right. tax rate is. Got it. Tony, thank you. Tony Thank Dwyer. you so much for having me, and happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays to you. Tim, what did you do today? Uh, you know, some upside calls and some names that have run. First of all, where we've had upside vol, and whether it's a Valiant, whether it's a U.S. Steel, these are names where I think you can actually take some of the chips off the table by staying in these trades. Um, to me, I, I think about what the Fed is doing, and, and Steve Leisman referred to this. 
I don't think people have priced in four Fed hikes for next year. I think that the first quarter is going to be a bit of a reckoning when people start to do that. Doesn't mean you have to run for the hills, but I do agree with Tony on volatility. Karen, what'd you do? I didn't do it. Well, sadly, I had to sell some things to pay taxes. Okay. Yeah, which is really a bummer trying to figure out, you know, I sort of across the board because I like everything that I own. So I really didn't, you know, but today wasn't a great day for my portfolio. Financials, not so great. It was the highest Banks, concentration of the position you sold. The highest yes, concentration? Right, so the biggest percentage. 22. Uh, in what? Fang. Okay. But I want to own them. Right, right. But, but you yeah. needed to harvest. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Still, still 99% long. I'm fully allocated in the marketplace. I still expect retail to rally into year end, and the laggard of energy continues to go lower. Right. Quickly, Tim mentioned Freeport McMurray, and the tell was about a week and a half ago when copper got obliterated. FCX went up. It's up about 15, 20% since. All right, coming up, the CME getting ready to launch Bitcoin futures on its exchange following the CBOE this past week. The chairman and CEO of the CME, Terry Duffy, will be here to tell us how it all go down. Plus, the next installment of Star Wars premieres this weekend, but can it live up to the hype? You've got an under-the-radar way to find out just how well the movie will do at the box office. And later, there's one stock that soared more than 43,000% since its IPO. That's right, 43,000%. Move over Bitcoin. We'll tell you the name and why it might not, not be too late to get in. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Target, making a move to up its delivery game. And that kicks off our top trades. A retailer buying shipped for $550 million, the same-day shipping service. Will it help Target keep up with Walmart and Amazon, Grasso? I, I think it will help them. And by the same token, Target has lagged this entire space. I think this is definitely a tailwind for them. I think that everyone had sold this entire space and sold Target a little harder than the rest. I think that this should be a bullish feel for them, but I think it's on a macro basis. This is the first time you hear real competition from the likes of a Target with Amazon. You see it with Walmart. You see it with other companies where they have same-day shipping or they're trying to do different shipping uh, tactics. This is a commodity. You could buy a shipper. You can create your own shipper. I don't think that any one of these guys is going to create the competition for Amazon. But my kooky thought is that Amazon needs to buy someone like a Target or like it's a got serious, a relationship with Kohl's, though. They, have, they, they, could, they could do whatever. They, they have to buy somebody. Why at buy this the cow when you get why, the milk free? Why does, <laughs> why, does, why does Amazon need to buy a Target? Um, when when they've, they've clearly, outside of Whole Foods, they're going asset light. And right. it makes no sense. I think what they want is, when you say asset light, they want to dabble with Whole Foods and trying to get a warehousing spot in close to city areas. And I think when you look at a Target or a Kohl's or even a Macy's, you get, a, you get a, on Main Street, down Broadway, in every city, in every state. It, and I think that helps them ultimately. I, I think Whole Foods, really quick, I think it's more about being in the consumables market and in the food market, a place where they really need to be constant transactions. Anyway, my view. Still ahead, forget about Bitcoin. There is one stock that would have made you a millionaire if you had invested in its IPO. We'll tell you the name and why there might still be time to get in. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. May the force be with us. And may the force be with Disney as it gets set to release its next Star Wars film this weekend. But according to one channel check, the box office may be in the Sarlacc pit. We'll explain. Plus, thought Bitcoin was crazy this week? Just wait until the CME begins Bitcoin futures trading this Sunday. We'll talk to the CEO, Terry Duffy, about just how big it can become when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The Bitcoin boom continues as more exchanges jump into the market. Is the battle just heating up? Our Bob Bassani is live at the New York, New York Stock Exchange with the very latest. Hey, Bob. It is just heating up. Volume in Bitcoin futures on the CBOE have been modest, but a bigger player in the futures business is about to enter the Bitcoin market. CME will start their Bitcoin futures Sunday night, full trading on Mondays. Several differences between the two futures products. The contract size for the CBOE, one Bitcoin, it's five for CME. Fees beginning January 1st, a dollar per contract on the CBO, five on the CME. But remember, the CME is five Bitcoins, C CBO is just one. The CBOE, CBO futures are tied to Gemini. That's a single exchange. But the CME uses a Bitcoin reference rate that is an average of four exchanges. Margin rates, they're kind of similar. CBO at 44%, CME at 47%. Hey, remember, NASDAQ's also going to be jumping in during the first half of 2018. We'll be covering that as well. I anticipate the volumes on the CME will be higher than on the CBO simply because CME is a much larger futures platform than CBO. Elsewhere, Interactive Brokers, one of the few online brokers allowing the trading of Bitcoin futures, says they will now allow investors to short Bitcoin futures on its trading platform. Up until now, CEO Thomas Petterfee has not allowed shorting because Petterfee says the risk was too high. But he now says he'll allow short sales because of the big premium the futures contract has over the cash market. And he's right about that. It's been about 5%. That's an unusually large spread. But he'll charge a hefty margin for this. The fee, the margin fee, ready for this? $40,000 for a short sale. Now, he may have moved the markets. The spread between the futures and the cash for Bitcoin dropped to about $300 this afternoon. That's a fraction of what it had been earlier. So things uh, may already be moving on that front. Back to you, Melissa. Wow, that's, that's quite a change in position from Petterfee. Bob, thanks so much. Bob Pisani yeah. at the NYSE. Our next guest is bringing Bitcoin futures to the market this Sunday night. Let's welcome Terry Duffy, the chairman and CEO of the CME. Terry, welcome to Fast Money. Great to have you on. Thank Thanks, Melissa. Melissa, I appreciate it very much. And I want to thank Bob for that great introduction. He did a nice job explaining that. Uh, he absolutely did. He always does, Terry, of course. I want yeah. to ask you about the launch Sunday and in, in subsequent yeah. days. Who do you expect the trader of the futures on the CME to be? Who, who do I expect the trader yeah, of? The, the, on, on, the investors who will be in the futures well, on the CME. It's hard to tell, Melissa. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's hard to tell. First of all, our contract, as Bob laid out, is larger than CBOs. It's five bitcoins per contract versus one for one. So that, that's a big difference, attracting the institutional participant versus the retail participant. You know, our goal and objective here is to manage the risk of the product, not to determine what the price level is. I want to be cautious. I think the SEC made a really good comment that Jay Clayton made about, you know, you got to be careful of this product. It's new, and, and there's no question about it. So the last thing I want to have happen is participants that have never traded futures contracts before to enter into CME's markets and be trading Bitcoin futures. So we are targeting the more professional type trader and the institutional investor. Mr. Duffy, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. Let's say you were yeah. to see hugely wild swings in Bitcoin, which, of course, anyone can imagine. Yeah. Let's say it went 500 percent up. Can you imagine a scenario where you change your margin requirements as a result of very big moves either way? Uh, Karen, that's a good point, and absolutely. Uh, we will change our margins if we see any activity like that. As you've seen already, we already made a, a change in our margin from 35 
to 47% on initial, and then the maintenance margin will be a minimum of 43%. That's even before we even launch the product, we've already had to move it. So this is something that we pay a lot of attention to, and it's, it's what I've been outlining all along, Karen, is the risk management protocols the CME has in place. And if, in fact, this thing starts to move precipitously, our margins will increase, our, our, our velocity <laughs> logic will, will kick in, and all the other functions we have as well will kick in. Do you plan on perhaps introducing a product that might appeal more to the retail investor, like a, a mini product, for instance, for Bitcoin futures? You know, I think that is yet to be determined. I think we're going to do a wait and see, see how this contract trades. One of the things that you're looking at, a lot of these brokerage firms don't want to jump in, and there's a reason why they don't want to jump in. They want to see open interest, which are positions open in a clearinghouse at a certain level. They want to see a certain amount of trade. And until that happens, you're not going to attract anybody else. So we need to be focused on this particular contract, build some open interest, build some trade, and then the, the bylaws and covenants of certain brokers will allow participants to come into the marketplace. Hey, Terry, it's Guy. Thanks for being on. So I know you're growing hey, organically, but what about, have you considered growing by acquisition? Like Coinbase, I think, has 13 million users, 32 countries. There's, I'm not yeah. asking you to specifically about them, but is that a thought out there in CME land? You know, Guy, right now I'm really focused, as you know. I, I like things that drop to the bottom line as far as targeted acquisitions go. This is a new product line for us, so we'll keep this just to the futures contract. We're looking at things that we think can enhance our customer experience. That's a big part of what I'm trying to accomplish here at CME Group. Grow the institutional base, grow the commercial base, and in, in return, grow to, uh, the clients completely. So that's where we're at right now on that. So on the cash side of the trade on Bitcoin, I, I don't think it's something that we have a great interest in. We don't regulate that today. Although we have the ability, Guy, which I think is interesting, with our offering, we have the ability to do audit functions on the four exchanges that Bob Bassani outlined at the beginning of the show here. And that's different than our competitors do. So we will be keeping a close watch on this. How big do you think this will be for CME? In other words, how much money do you think you can make off of this? Will this impact earnings, Terry? Will we, are we going to see upward revisions to earnings reports in the future? So, Melissa, we don't do anything that we think is just going to be doing it for the sake of doing it because it's popular. You know, we, we've had a, a, a big uh, outreach from clients to, to get involved in this asset class, which we have. And, but to predict the potential revenues off this, it would be a fool's errand. I'm not going to even attempt to do it. Um, I want to see how this trades. If you look at the last couple of days at CBOE, what they've been able to trade, I think they traded 1,756 contracts today. They traded a small amount yesterday. So it's off to a, you know, a, a, a decent start. They have a little bit of open interest. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But it, to, to try to predict what the potential volumes are in this contract, which turns into revenues, is really hard to do. All right. Uh, Terry, I, I got to ask you about this, too, because obviously one concern about a futures contract that trades on a product that's not regulated is what happens uh, if if somebody tampers with that exchange. Already we've seen Bitfinex, which is the largest Bitcoin um, exchange by volume. They've been in a denial of service attack essentially for the past week or so. Is it possible that if somebody had a huge position in futures on the short side, for instance, that they could manipulate the trading on an exchange to their advantage? Well, that's one of the things that, you know, I talk about all the time is our self-regulatory organization and the process that we have in place with our, regular, uh, our regulatory department. We monitor for this in all of our asset classes, all of our products here, Melissa. Um, this is really high on our radar screen. We're, we have a lot of people watching this product. We'll be looking for any strange activity. And I assure you, this is... Uh, I, I've said this many a times before. The reputation of CME Group is sure. way too valuable. But way would, too valuable would you rather to rely... Have... At, 
formal exchange because I mean formal uh, regulation of the exchanges because basically your your product is going to rely on the pricing of four Bitcoin exchanges. I'm sure the CME has better things to do with its time and money than try and regulate the trading on four different exchanges, which we have seen in the past week. The exchanges do not respond well technologically to high spikes in volume, and that really plays into a manipulator's hands. Well, Melissa. What's, done, what's important here is we do do very well with high uh, demand, with high volatility, with high trade. So that's one of the things that we are very good at. And when you bring in a regulated futures market like CME with the distribution and the platforms that we have, that will help mitigate some of the problems in the cash market as well. So, you know, they go hand in hand. There's a reason why it's called a derivative, mm-hmm. and people use both the cash and the futures products here to manage their risk. So, you know, I, I see us helping mitigate some of the problems that are going on right now in the cash market. Do you own Bitcoin, Terry? I'm sorry? Do you own Bitcoin yourself? What do you think of it? <laughs> Sadly, no, I don't own it. You I don't. wish I was on. <laughs> What well, was your guest the other day that bought it at a dollar? I wish I would have met that guy a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, that was 2011. That would have been a good one. <laughs> Are you no, interested I don't, in I don't, it? I don't know. Uh, you know what? I'm fascinated by it, Melissa, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, someone asked me the other day, well, what would I do with Bitcoin? I said, if I owned it, I probably wouldn't sell it. And if I didn't own it, I probably wouldn't buy it. So I'm not sure what that tells you. <laughs> what do I think of the, the value of the product other than I think we're going through a major change in finance and, and people are looking at a whole host of different ways. Um, regulation is important to any product. And I think when you look at cryptocurrencies or anything else you trade, you know what, we continue to evolve. And this is something that, listen, I've watched your show for many years and I know Brian Kelly's been very optimistic on this product, and we're going to have to do a wait and see. But for us not to list it and and miss potentially helping something nourish that could change the world would be wrong, too. So I think we're taking a very measured approach towards Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And make some money off of it as well. I mean, that would be good for the CME. Right? That's fine, too. Yeah. All right, Ty, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for, thanks for watching Fast all these years, and uh, we'll all be watching uh, on pleasure. Sunday night. Terry Duffy, the chairman thanks. and CEO of the CME Group. What do we think? What do we think of the CME stock? We play that game. We'll play it again since we just spoke to the CEO of right. CME. Bitcoin stock or not? CME. Oh, no, not. And we no. said that. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I mean, this and we said it a while ago, this is a cherry on top for CME, but they've been a great we've talked about the Chicago Mercantile Exchange as an investment now for many, many years. Terry Duffy does an incredible job. They trade, I think, currently at 27 or so times forward earnings. They probably have an 18 percent or so EPS growth rate. They're the only game in town in a lot of areas. And I think this stock is a non-Bitcoin stock, but the fact that they have it now mm-hmm. just adds to their value. It, definitely the last run up in, in the CBO and CME. CBO is up 70 percent year to date. Terry's uh, done a great job. CME, it's up 31 percent year to date. But I play uh, overstock because I, I don't I'm still one of these guys that was skeptical. And after you see this last rage up, kudos to Brian Kelly. I think every time we talk uh, Bitcoin, we should say Brian Kelly. Great job there. Overstock is up 250 percent year to date. I believe they have the only SEC-blessed ICO, initial coin offering, under T0, their, their wholly owned subsidiary. That's what I still continue to be long. All right, still ahead, the new Star Wars movie premieres this weekend. So could the latest installment give Disney the force it needs to hit new highs? We've got the Star Wars channel check. Plus, well, everyone's been caught up with Bitcoin. One stock is soaring and it's quietly passed a major milestone this week. We'll give you the details. Much more fast money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. It's a big week for Disney. The media giant expected to announce a mega deal with Fox tomorrow, and it's releasing its biggest movie of the year. Julia Borson's in Los Angeles with the latest. Hi, Julia. Hey, Melissa, we are expecting the announcement of Disney's acquisition of Fox's entertainment assets tomorrow. Sources tell CNBC it will be an all-stock deal at a valuation of about $60 billion. Fox shareholders will hold about 25% of the new Disney, giving the Murdoch family about 5%. Today, Fox shares fell by about 4%. The stock is up nearly 2% in after-hours trading. Disney shares are also just fractionally higher. Now, with this deal, Disney will get international exposure with Star in India and Sky in Europe. Disney is planning to continue with that acquisition of the remainder of Sky. Disney is also securing a majority stake in Hulu thanks to this deal. They'll also get cable networks, including FX and National Geographic, as well, of course, as the movie studio with franchises including X-Men and Fantastic Four, which can be reunited with Disney's Marvel Universe, along with Avatar. Disney will also get distribution rights for the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequel trilogy, Valuable Films, for the Disney app, which is launching in fall of 2019. Now, Star Wars is very much in focus ahead of The Last Jedi, which is hitting theaters this weekend. It's projected to bring in between $190 million and $215 million in North America opening weekend. That would be the biggest opening of the year and up from last year's Rogue One, but down from The Force Awakens, which brought in nearly $250 million the year before that for its opening weekend. Now, as of three days before The Last Jedi's release, the film was already Fandango's top pre-seller of the year. This, of course, is a powerhouse not just for Disney's studio, but also for consumer products and the parks division, which is two Star Wars lands opening in 2019. Melissa, back over to you. Wow, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson from L.A. So will The Last Jedi live up to the hype? Let's get the Star Wars channel check with David Steinberg, the CEO of Zeta Global. David runs what's called the Zeta Discussion Index, which tracks what people are talking about online. And it has been a leading indicator for the success of movies at the box office. David, great to have you with us. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm a big how, fan. How exactly does this work? So and we, what is it showing? So 4 million publishers use our platform to comment. And we track 2 billion unique visitors a month. And we feed that information into an artificial intelligence algorithm that allows us to know kind of trends. And we can also tie it back to individual identities for some of our clients in our data and marketing cloud. But as it relates to this stuff, we're really looking at the big pools of data. So is it just the frequency with which, for instance, Last Jedi is mentioned? Or do you also have to co-locate positive words around it or negative words for that matter? Yes. So we, <laughs> we, we do positive indication, negative indication gross numbers of people. For example, 42 million people were commenting positively on the word Star Wars through articles globally through the first 10 days of this month, which is up 50 percent from the same 10 days leading up to uh, League of Justice and Thor in November. So based on what you've seen for Last Jedi specifically in other Star Wars movies, can you tell us um, you know, if it's going to be better than the others? Well, it's a tale of two cities, as uh -huh. she said, right? So it'll, according to our data, it looks like it'll be well below, probably 33% below The Force Awakens, but well above Rogue One. So you had 155 million for Rogue One mm -hmm. for the opening, and you had 248 million for Force Awakens. We think, now, we think it'll come in towards the lower end of the range of 190 to 215. We think kind of 190 to 200. Uh, and by the way, if you look at it, we had two times the number of comments on people positively talking about Star Wars versus, for example, the League of Justice, which had very low comments. We predicted a very low open uh, box office, and uh, that, that's what happened. 
So is this just a U.S., you're just gauging U.S. viewers or, or potential viewers, no, or it, is worldwide? Well, with two billion people, it's hard to just be oh, U.S., okay. right? But, that but, but no, no, but that's, uh, uh, by the way. Or they would be the same person yeah, a lot people, of times. Right, a lot of times. So people ask me that all the time. But uh, no, so 17 million people in the United States have commented or read articles out of the 42 million. The two billion people is global, although, as you would guess, the vast majority of U.S. population kind of hits one of the four million publisher websites we, we plot partner with. All right, we'll see if your channel checks hold up. David, great to have you with us. David oh, it's Steinberg great to be here. Zeta Global. Tim, what do you think? You're in Disney. Well, I, I tell you what, I think the, the, the halo effect for Disney is very important here, too. And, and I think also, you know, the, think of the assets they're getting, the Fox Studio. I think ultimately this is going to put a higher multiple on where the Fox Studio would be trading. So, you know, eight and a half times for that. I think you have to impute all that higher. Um, the other cool thing about this deal for Disney is when Disney started doing this deal, as we said, this kind of put a floor under the entire sector. Disney's paying for this deal with at least a fair amount of, of equity as currency in the deal. And by the way, this deal just got 15% cheaper to them. So for Disney shareholders, this is an even better deal than it was a month ago. Okay. Discovery Communications, I think, is interesting. Not that I know these people, but Chip Gaines and Joanna Gaines. Love them. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were they're doing the show, but they're renegotiating now, apparently, with Discovery that posts the scripts contract that they had, which was a disaster, by the way. So if you're looking for undervalued assets that might have some upside, I think that's it. And Tim and I have talked about Viacom for a while, which very quietly is going from about 23 and a half to close to 30 now. Well, when the story first broke about Disney, we mentioned Viacom, and I think CBS is worth a, head, a hat tip there. But if you look at Disney, it's been in a range, basically. Let's call it low 90s to about 112, 113. Long term, I'm positive on the name, content king, but I think you're going to see it retrace a, a bit back, maybe 5% move lower before it moves uh, ratchets higher. All right, still ahead, Fed Chair Janet Yellen calling Bitcoin a, quote, speculative asset at our final news conference earlier today. And that got us thinking, how should individual investors approach speculation? Hmm. Our very own Guy Adami will give you a little speculation education. Give you his guidelines for investing. Much more Fast Money right after the break. Bitcoin at this time plays a very small role in the payment system. It is not a stable source of store of value, and it doesn't constitute legal tender. It is a highly speculative asset. That was Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen after our very own Steve Leisman asked about Bitcoin earlier today. So as investors everywhere pile into speculative investments like Bitcoin, we thought it would be helpful to lay out what speculative investing is and what are some do's and don'ts. Guy Dimes at the Plasma to drop speculation education. Guy. Hi, Mel. Yeah, hopefully I can do you folks a service out here. So what is speculation? I happen to think that anytime you buy anything, you're effectively speculating, but it really comes down to what's the risks associated with where are these investments on the risk curve? So what do you have to establish first? Well, you have to identify where you are on the risk curve. How old are you? How much risk are you willing to take? How much of your portfolio should be in these speculative investments? I don't think it should be less than 5% if you're going to do it. I also don't think it should be more than 15%. Mike Novogratz was on the other day, and I'm sure his risk appetite is greater. But for the folks playing at home, I think it should fall into that range. Also, when something is highly speculative, like Bitcoin, I think you have to be prepared to lose it all. So let's see how now you identify. Spot a speculative investment. Well, 
Some companies have great track records. Apple, for example, great track record. Disney, for example. So they tend to be less speculative. But on a speculative front, limited track record. Inexperienced management. Maybe these folks are just getting into these things for the very first time. And their future relies on a binary outcome. So what is that telling you? What industry sort of, sort of fits that whole thing? Let's take a look. Sets up well in biotech. And Juno Therapeutics is a name that we have loved for quite some time. We've also said it's somewhat binary. Why? Because they're effectively betting the entire ranch on their CAR T therapies, which I happen to believe work and the science behind them works great. But you've seen over the last week what happens when you get a hint of bad news. So this is a chart of Juno. You can see the great trajectory from the lower left to the upper right, as Dennis says. But you've also seen over the last couple of days what can go wrong. So hopefully I've done you a little bit of service on how to spot a speculative investment. Thank you very much, Guy. Uh, Tim, you've been known to uh, speculate. Known to dabble. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that's important for me on speculation is, is, is there price discovery and, and how much transparency is there in the price discovery process? Meaning what? Well, it, when I think about Bitcoin, I think that there's actually not a lot of that. In fact, um, not because you can't get a quote on it, but because, first of all, for a lot of people, they're settling three or four days later or when their bank transfers the money, and by that time they have significant settlement risk. They can't then trade that. Um, there's a lot of different places where you're getting a lot of different price quotes. So um, I think one of the things that will actually change the way all crypto is traded is when you have a lot more transparency and price discovery. But but ultimately, you know, look, that's that's right now to the advantage of people that want to play. And in fact, I think it's going higher because of it. What is the most speculative investment you have made? Bitcoin. For sure. Yeah. And how did you how did you determine to write how to right size that position in your portfolio? Of course, now too small. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, your he's five to fifteen, I think, is enormous, enormous in a for for a speculative part of the portfolio. But you know, the, the guy like Novogratz is comfortable with that kind of debt. One other thing, though, I want to add, not only you got to be prepared to lose it all, you can't buy it on margin. You can't do that. Right. I know that I, for and institutional investors, uh-huh. you know, the CME or the CBOE, you can do it on margin there. For me, that kind of investment, I would never do. Some people don't speculate, quote unquote, in their portfolios at all. And they have to risk leaving that on the table because you cannot outperform a lot of the different indexes unless you are speculating. But I'm with Karen. I think 5% is a, is a bit much. And I think, uh, to Guy's point, anytime you make a bet or place a bet, and that's what I call it, in the equity markets, it is speculation. Coming up, want to be a millionaire? Of course you do. Well, if you were invested, if you invested $100 when a, that stock on the screen right there IPO'd back in 1980, you would be. We'll give you the name. Plus, Oracle's been on a tear this year, but there is something in the charts that suggests the run could be coming to an end. We've got all the details. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple hitting a major milestone this week, celebrating 37 years since going public. And since that fateful day, we've seen new iPhones, iPads, and for investors, really big returns. Since Apple's market debut at just 22 bucks a share, the stock is now trading at 172, up nearly 44,000 percent on a split-adjusted basis. Bitcoin ain't the only thing going up. The S&P in comparison rising just shy of 2,000 percent over that time. So with Apple up, 49% this year. And the market cap moving closer and closer to the $1 trillion mark is now the time to buy, Tim. 
Look, I think you can own Apple. I think you can own it on a valuation. I think you can own it in terms of the refresh cycle. I think you can own it because of the services, which we talk about all the time. And I am more bullish on that than I think than many are. Um, if you think about Apple in terms of where it's coming its cycle, for me, Apple was actually interesting. The reason I got into Apple a long time ago, and I haven't held it since then, was, was because of iTunes. When I saw that they were actually disrupting the music industry, it was really before the hardware became such a big part of it. But it was always a big part of it before the phone became a big part of it. Anyway. Apple right now, yes, you can own this stock. Karen, you don't well, own it. I don't own it, but it's interesting. You know, I think, oh, maybe it's like 7% too high, which is ridiculous in the context of the value creation <laughs> there, right? So I would have, uh, maybe like at 43,840%, kind of, right. right. then it's good Were to own. Were you impersonating yourself? Yeah. So, oh, I think it could be. Yes, kind of. It was good. It's Did you think on. it was me or not? I, I, I had no idea who it was. So now, you know, I kind of feel like in, the, in that scheme of thing, looking from that perspective, yeah, it's probably good to own. Yet, I don't own it. Right. Sticking with tech, Oracle set to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. The options market implying some interesting moves for the stock. Mike goes out in Austin with more. Mike. Well above average options activity in Oracle today. This is a name that typically moves about 5% on earnings. That's approximately what the options market is currently implying. But what we did see was a lot of call selling. It was the March 55 calls. We saw a block of 7,500 of those sold at 55 cents. And that basically is an indication that options traders are trying to take advantage of the fact that options premiums are elevated and the stock is trading at an all-time high. And it's really a bet that it's not going to break out to new all-time highs on this particular earnings announcement. Melton, you notice hey. Mike's not on the Death Star anymore? Not today. No, we're not off. talking uh, about... Last Jedi. Good for him. So I was really worried yeah, about he him. escaped. Where was, where was, Mike, yeah. thank you. I like it. See you it. tomorrow. <laughs> for more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. <laughs> of course he would. So proud of Final himself. Final trades up next. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Freeport Mac Moran, <laughs> Freeport Mac. Yeah. Waking up. Great I conference. really like that. Thank That's conviction. There you go. Karen. Yes. I, it was up today. I don't love to buy things that were up today, but not a ton. Uh, EEM, I think there is still a lot of room to run in the rest of the economies around the world. Rasa, do you remember your final trade? Yes. <laughs> Car, Avis budget took out recent highs. This the shorts are getting squeezed, going much higher. How about you, Guy? Tim's playing hurt. Give him a break. Yeah, no, I get Target, I think, is absolutely breaking out to the upside. It's all Melms. good fun. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.